One of life's greatest questions is, what happens to us after we die? Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. We're pleased to have with us today, Crystal Ray from her lake house. Hi, Eric. How are you? Good to be with all of you. Tell us something about your lake house. Well, my lake house is kind of my little sanctuary. I own three yoga studios in Dallas, and I'm an author and also an artist. So I have a real creative soul. So one of the things I love about this particular lake house is it's only an hour away from my home, which is like fantastic. (laughs) I can come down here and there's solitude and peace. I always feel like when I walk into the lake house, like my blood pressure just goes, it's so peaceful. That's like me with the ocean or the mountains. Same thing. Just let the stress kind of wash away. The blood pressure comes down. The creative side of the brain opens up. Anyway, would you tell us a little bit about you? I guess the thing I should tell you is that I'm just recently married. I've been married for two years now. I have a wonderful husband. After 28 years of being single, um, and by the way, that was following, um, the 28 years was following a near-death experience, which we'll talk about soon, I'm sure. But um, I spent all of that time, those 28 years, kind of working on this soul mission to share with the world that love is all that matters. And of recent, I am just now, uh, the most poignant thing in my life um, is I am about to publish the book that I was told to write, that book that that I was told to write in this near-death experience. So that's consumed a lot of my time between yoga um, and writing a book. My art has kind of suffered. But I have two children who are grown with some grandchildren that call me grandma, which I love. Um, They think I'm the cool grandma. And um, I've got five dogs and two cats. And again, a lovely husband. I didn't mean to put him in that list, but those are the top. (laughs) (laughs) Dog, cat, husband, I get it. Yeah, cat, dog, husband, children, grandchildren, a couple of yoga studios. I'm called the Yoga Mama because I'm really, my job is really as a mentorship. We have had studios for 20 something years and we have thousands of teachers all over the United States, Europe, Canada. Um, In particular in Dallas, we have three studios and um, it's been a lot of fun to be a mentor and a guide for many young women and men throughout my life. I say young as in 35, 40, because I'm now 61. Well, I would have believed when you were doing the math earlier, 28 years of being single, two years of married, I was going to let people just believe that you were 30 years old. <laughs> Thanks. I feel like I'm 35. Like if I had to pick a number, that would be it. I don't know many 61-year-olds that can, you know, walk on their hands and put their foot behind their head, but I'm one of them. Anyway, hey, let's get into talking near-death experiences. That's what we do here. And I'm really glad that you agreed to be on and talk about yours because what led up to it is also interesting. I mean, it was kind of a spectacular, I guess, accident that you had. But why don't you give us a little background? What was going on and led up to this? Okay, so um, I had a very turbulent childhood. I think that's probably normal for many Americans, you know, the dysfunctional, functional. Um, So my parents were um, 
drinkers and a little bit abusive. And so my childhood was very kind of a tormented. And as a result, I really had a really deep and questioning soul. Um, when you become the parent to your parent, you know, you're not really given the opportunity to be a child. And so I always had these very elevated thoughts at a very young age. I remember one morning in particular when I was being forced to clean the ceiling or something and having this really poignant conversation with what I understood to be God at that time. And I remember thinking, you know, if there's good people and bad people in the world, and if that is the parameter to get into heaven or avoid hell, it didn't matter to me. I just chose to be a good person because I am a good person. And it was my first real sense of worthiness in my life because I suddenly realized that means I am a good person. And with that, Eric, I turned around and walked off the counter where I was cleaning the ceiling and I fell into a void, all I can call is a void, which was like a whirling time and space where um, I saw myself from a distance curled in a fetus position and it wasn't, it was as almost like a tornado, but it wasn't really a tornado because there was no sound. It was just this whirling time and space. And I was in the middle and I was very peaceful and it came to us to a very gradual halt. And I was floating out in this like serene velvet night with stars. And I looked out in the distance and I said, huh, those are stars or energy. And that's what we are. I am. And boom, I was back in my body. The most interesting thing about that experience is that I never hit the ground. I fell face first into the ground. I never hit it. And the reason I know I didn't hit it because I ended up standing on my feet like a cat. Wow. <laughs> you know, a cat falls, they always land on their feet. And then I had this experience. I thought, oh, well, I must have hit my head. You know, you tried to justify and somehow saw stars and made it to my feet. So I went to the restroom. I looked for you know, you can't dive into the floor without having at least a bruise or cut something, bump. I had nothing. And so I went and I told my brother, God saved me. God saved me. Cause I had this like amazing, he started laughing thinking I had completely lost my mind. And I started laughing. We both ended up laughing. I said, listen, Mark, I understand it sounds crazy, especially since we come from this agnostic atheist home where God was only damned really wasn't really welcome in the house and so he I said but never forget and the funny thing is that my my brother is now a minister right and he's been my even though he didn't see the fall he wasn't there but he's been my because I somehow knew as a little girl that I would think this was a dream you know what I mean because it's so fantastic I said just never forget that this happened so year by year I said do you remember he's like yeah I remember <laughs> I remember but all of that, just to put into context of like post falling from there, I started calling Sunday school um, buses. I kept looking for answers, walking to church. Um, I was baptized five times because I didn't feel it. <laughs> huh. How old did you say you were at that time? I was, this is between the age of 11 and 13 when I was on this great mission to find truth. So I would walk to church. I would call Sunday school. My mom thought I had literally lost my mind. I, I read the Bible seven times, forward and back. 
And I was, I could not find in any spiritual text, not even the Bible, because I read a lot, um, the love and the all-encompassing sense of all-pervasive forgiveness, kindness, grace, love that I felt in that moment. And so the last guy that I went to when I was a young girl before um, I kind of gave up on religion was a guy that was one of those evangelistic healers that like puts his hand on your head and you fall back and then you're healed and all this stuff. Right. And he's basically a hypnotist. There were people lining up. They were all falling. I thought, well, why not? Let's give this a try. But the minute he touched me, I knew it was not that radiant energy. It was a, a very heavy, dark energy that felt bad. And I remember saying, I did fall back. And I came up and I said, that is not love. That is not, that's, and then they escorted me out because they were like. She didn't act properly. He did not act properly. And I was escorted right. out. So I went, I just kind of put, you know, at this time, this my turbulent childhood. You know, I left home at 17. Between 13 and 17, there was a lot of upheaval, you know, teenager stuff. And just trying to survive in my very dysfunctional home. So I put all of that on the back. I had to just survive. I just said, okay, I let that go. 17, I left home. Um, I remember my mom, her going away speech was, you know, you're going to be a prostitute, a whore, uh, drop out of school, be a drug addict. You don't have parents. You don't have a family. You don't even exist. Wow. No wonder you left. And so I was like, okay. Um, I made straight A's. I graduated cum laude. <laughs> I worked, I had my own apartment. I worked my way through college. You know, I did all of this. Sounds rough. It was really hard. But it gave me a sort of grit that I think was necessary for my life because now as a mentor and as a guide, someone can look in my eyes and say, oh, but I've had this horrible thing. You know, I've been raped. I've been pillaged. I've been abused. And I can say, look in my eyes and you see I've done all of that, had all of that, and I still choose love because it, all of this other stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah. Can I? Can we pause for just a second? I want to I find out just a little bit more about the experience that you had with that healer um, because people are looking all over the world for truth, right? And you were. You were looking at different churches, et cetera. And I think the pe- the thing that people forget that we can learn from your experience there is that you were you knew that you would feel the truth when it was in front of you. It sounds like a lot of people are looking in other ways. They're trying to, you know, scientifically or book learn their way into truth. But when we're talking about something spiritual, we have to learn that in a spiritual way. Right. And wasn't that what you were doing? Well, my experience was that I could feel the truth of this. And I was the, the, the thing is, I really wanted I wasn't going to lie to myself. Like when they said, you know, they dunk you underwater and you come up and they say you have this new life. You're this new person. I was I recognized because of the, the, the experience of falling into this void of time and space that this was not the true experience of freedom and love and all expansive kindness and goodness. I recognized it because I had a reference point. So I think the problem perhaps is that 
a lot of times we don't have that reference point, you know, to, to say, I know what it, I know what it is. I've, I've been there, you know, and that's, um, it right. was I know hard. what it should feel like. I know that it's not this, you know, not this, not that. And, and I'm not saying, you know, that religion doesn't have a place because I feel like for me, religion is a stepping stone to truth. And I always say, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a Buddhist, if you're going to be whatever your religion is, be a good one, <laughs> do it well. Um, but don't be so dogmatic that that's the only path. That's my, my thing. But if it serves you to call upon Jesus or Buddha or whatever to keep you grounded, what's the problem with that? I don't see a problem with it. For me, it's universal love. It's light. It does, it's non-differentiated because of my experience. It is definitely not embodied, not to say that these people didn't exist and are not avatars, but I know that above and beyond that, at least from my experience, what we are is the pure essence of beingness. It's a light. It's an energy. Um, it's all pervasive, non-differentiated. And yes, it can be personalized for certain levels of consciousness for as need be. You know, but it doesn't necessarily make it, it's just a stepping stone. I think eventually, my truth is, eventually, everyone will leave those avatars and embodiments behind and recognize the truth of all existence is a all-pervasive love that is expressed in particles of light and energy. And if one were to ever get an email from you, I loved this. Down at the bottom, it just said, love is why. Love is why everything. So the why of our existence, you know, I remember in college reading several books, but one most poignantly by Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, I've read it. A Holocaust story. But what he found is that, that people have to have meaning and purpose in their life and of course, a little bit of luck to avoid being shot by the Nazis, but um, to, 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 to continue survive, how can you survive when, like, for example, in a childhood where, you know, you're being abused and you're being, um, you have little to eat and you have, you're forced to work and, you know, how do you survive these kind of holocaustic experiences of life? And, and you have to have purpose and meaning. And my purpose and my meaning was that little girl saying just simply i want to be good for goodness sake i don't want to be good to get to heaven that seemed corrupt to me even at 13 and i don't want to be good to avoid hell and i really didn't even want to sign up for a god that could create a flawed being and then punish it for being flawed <laughs> it's like, it just seems so ridiculous to me like okay if you're going to do this, it just seems it seemed really. And beyond that, like this is a finite point of time, 89 years, 100 years of life. And you will suffer for all eternity for this speck of nothing in context of all of eternity. The math is wrong. It should be the reverse of that. So I had a really hard time coming to terms with all of that. Your logic makes sense. All right, let's fast forward a little bit towards your near-death experience. Okay, so fast forward post-divorce, uh, feeling much like a failure, like Cinderella and the shoe didn't fit. Um, somewhat like my mom was right about me. 
You know what I mean? Because she had said all these negative things and I couldn't even sustain a marriage. Um, I did have two beautiful children and um, I didn't really date for about a year and a half because I, you know, I had been married for 13 years and I just, I had never, to me, divorce was not a possibility because I wasn't going to be my mother who had divorced. And of course I did. But so after about a year and a half, I decided, well, this is unhealthy. You know, we need human contact. You know, all I did was stay home and work with the kids and do my thing, but it was a very solitary time in my life. And so I decided that I would date just friendly dating. And I decided to go on a, a trip with a friend of mine who was very interested in dating me. But I said, listen, I'm not ready to date date, but I'll go with you as long as I can bring my cousin. <laughs> chaperone. A little chaperone for this 35 year old woman. And, um, he said, yes. And we went on this trip, but what I found is that it really wasn't, you know, my life, I was very kind of clean living. I didn't, I never have drank. I never smoked. I never did drugs. It was not because as a judgment against it, it's probably just because it's an eight and who I am. But when this particular gentleman that I went with, his family drank, they cussed, they smoked, they, you know, it was just an environment that was very toxic for me and for my cousin, who was this beautiful clarinetist in the Dallas opera. And so we decided like, you know, this is really not as much fun as it looked like it was going to be. So I was leaving a day early. So I told my friend, I said, listen, I think we're, we're going to head out a little early um, back to Dallas. And, and he said, okay, I'll let me take you to the airport. Well, on the way to the airport, um, we were going up a mountain and there was a car coming down. It was icy conditions, kind of a blizzardy, it was in Vail. And this car hit, we started spinning, first of all, and then he put the brakes on, we started spinning. This car that was skidding towards us hit my side of the car, crushing the side of my door in, continuing to spin us around and threw us off a cliff, which was 25 feet before you hit the ground. And then we rolled 10 times. So to your earlier point, it was very kind of, spectacular wreck um and i'm sure it's kind of one of those things you see in the movies and go that never happens but actually it did it sounds just like a movie i think we can all picture that from some movie from some movie yeah but it actually happened and and when this happened um i had a very spiritual experience that even today some what 30 years later um, i'm still in reverence to um, and this experience started with time slowing down um, and me viewing my own existence from a like a panoramic view, three-dimensional view uh, of everything that had happened and, and most importantly, the poignant things that had happened in my life and the ripple effect of my actions, both good and bad, out to infinium, like, you know, how a kind act would go out and out and out and out and also an unkind to act the same way. And I saw everything from three-dimensional view and um, 365-degree view, like front and back. It was all-encompassing view of every single thing, which sounds impossible in the span of a few seconds, which I'm sure it took us to hit the ground. But I was shown in that, in that moment this view, and I remember thinking, oh, 
I didn't know I was going to die today. Like it was a surprise to me. But I didn't have the typical fear response that most people have based on my childhood experience where I had already fallen into this vortex. So I was like super calm. Like I was calmer than a cat. <laughs> like it was a Zen moment. I remember looking in the car, the guy who was driving was frantic. The cousin in the back seat was screaming. And I remember looking back and having so much compassion for her. Like, I'm so sorry for your fear. And then I just kind of slumped in my seat and said, okay, you know, it's too late. I'm going into the light was the last thing I said. I'm going into the light. And then I was shown in those moments, like multiple realities of which I could choose. One of which I could come back and be crippled or have brain damage, or I could die. These are all possible lines of energy or possible destinies. And of course, the one where I come back and I meet Eric. <laughs> Yay! <And> I, <laughs> you picked the right one. And so this is the one I chose and write a book about love. And um, so I was shown all these possible destinies and opportunities. I was shown my children also would have different life timelines based on what I chose. But that each soul is here for the bliss of their own existence, and that my children's life was not dependent on me, which was quite a shock because I was quite the mother bear, um, that they would be fine without me, which I was really shocked about that. And I had always, I think, based on, you know, my childhood, seen life as like a big heavy burden. Like life is like, you got to be good, a good mother, a good wife, a good ex-wife, a good daughter, a good this, a good that. And there was not, at that point in my life, a lot of joy. Exactly the opposite of that. It was just like life seemed like a heavy burden. And in that moment, I was shown three poignant things that I, I spoke with you about the other day that changed my, my view of life forever. And they don't, they're, they're simple things, but they, they absolutely changed my life. And the first one was that I was shown that I had never seen or experienced the sunrise, which of course I have, <laughs> but I hadn't really seen it with the full expression and then the symbolic meaning of the sun rising and setting and how that is symbolic of our lives and the opportunity that we're offered each day as the sun rises and the opportunity as the sun sets to let everything go and rest. And then second thing I was shown is that I had never really smelled freshly cut grass I had this overwhelming like when someone's mowing their lawn and you have that freshly cut grass smell that we all recognize and I was just shown like I hadn't seen the beauty in the things that I had just disregarded because I was too busy in other words I hadn't stopped to smell the roses much less to smell freshly cut grass and all of the the beautiful things that were around me that I had just completely disregarded like the scent of freshly cut grass and thirdly I was shown that I had never ever reached out and touched someone like of course I have three children <laughs> two children um I had a couple of miscarriages but so that's why I said three I have two live children um that made it I actually had six pregnancies and only two children which is probably one of the worst things for a marriage but that's another story but I had these two children, so obviously I had had intimate contact with someone, but I was shown that I had never really fully embraced the gift of physical touch, of being able to reach out 
you know, when you lose someone like a loved one, I think one of the things that we all know that we miss most is that we can no longer reach out and touch them, like give them a hug, like hold their hand, like brush your fingers through their hair, like those things that we miss when they're gone. And I was shown like I had all these gifts and I had not really even seen the beauty of my own life because I was too busy with the burden. So one of the big shifts when I came back out of this experience was that my verbiage Nothing outside necessarily changed, but then my verbiage about my life changed because instead of seeing I have to be good, I realized I get to be a good mother. I get to smell the roses. I get to smell freshly cut grass. I get to reach out and touch you. I get to. That's a gift. It's called life. And, and I, I really had a different experience. And, you know, post-accident, there was a lot of, like, chaotic stuff going on too much to really talk about in a short podcast but were you badly injured surprisingly not and here's the the really crazy thing about that I did have a severe neck injury but my my cousin who was in the back seat of this jeep small little red jeep we were in was banged around from side to side she broke every bone in her face her eye sockets her jaw everything she had 90% brain damage and was, they said she would never talk again, walk again. The guy driving the car had a broken arm and some back injuries. I had a severe neck injury, but the crazy thing about it is that my cousin completely healed. Um, she, her IQ is back to where it was. She had 18 operations. Um, her, you know, she's this beautiful musician she became the lead clarinetist and enhanced her musical skills at the Dallas Opera when she healed. Um, she meant the love of her life. She forgot 10 years where she was married to two alcoholic husbands. That's the only memory that she had. <laughs> Not a bad deal. That's and a blessing. It was a blessing. And I came back um, with this severe neck injury. Um, it's a crazy story. I'll share it if you'd like. But they took x-rays of my neck. And the first x-ray came back that I had a broken neck. And the second x-ray came back that I did not have a broken neck. Cause I, I put my hand on my neck and I said, no, that's not, that's not my destiny. I'm not supposed to have a broken neck. And I felt heat moving through my hand into my neck, third, fourth x-rays, no broken neck. So they did tell me I had to sign a release saying we're not responsible if you leave the hospital, but you know, they got off the hook. So, but I did have severe whiplash, which was the entrance into my yoga journey, which has been such a healing journey. So I'm really grateful for the neck injury because I would not have found yoga. One of my chiropractors that I was seeing three times a week because I could not turn my neck. I literally was moving like, you know, a hundred year old person where I couldn't turn my neck. He said, you know, Crystal, if you just do yoga, you could heal your neck. And I said, excuse me? isn't yoga what you do when you don't want to do exercise? Because <laughs> I was like this driven girl, you know? And he said, no, you should try yoga. And he was right. Yoga absolutely healed my neck, but it not only healed my neck, it healed my body. It healed my soul. It healed all the, the uh, stress in my tissues. Like they call it issues in your tissues. Like I unwound myself on the yoga mat and, you know, I learned to stay in uncomfortable places foot behind the head, for example. 
and breathe through discomfort. And it taught me things I could never learn anywhere else and how to stay with things in my life. So yoga, so the neck injury was a great entrance to the next decades of my life, which I'm still in right now. So it was a really beautiful thing. Post um, accident, I saw auras around people, which I had no verbiage for, because I was, again, not a spiritual being. I was just a girl who wanted to do good. Um, I knew people's thoughts. I didn't want to touch anyone because I could feel their deepest fear and their greatest joy. And it was just overwhelming. I did not want all this information. It's, I was like, listen, this is not for me. This is not what I signed up for. And I eventually learned how to close that energy down so that it wasn't such an open door to all these experiences um, that I wasn't ready to. I couldn't, I, I had to do a lot of self-healing before I could take on other people's which is the last 20 years, basic 30 years of my life was when I was given this mission to write a book and tell the world that love is all that matters coming from my dysfunctional childhood where I felt unloved. My father left very young. My mother remarried alcoholic husband. Um, her you know, an inspirational thing was of the day was I can't wait for you. You know, GD kids to grow up and get the hell out of here. And so I didn't feel loved as a child. Although I have to say, even though my mom was very, um, you know, dysfunctional, somehow I always knew she loved me, which was a great comfort, even though she couldn't express it in the terms that a normal mother would. And um, my marriage, you know, I married somebody who was, who just like women a lot. <laughs> <laughs> really good guy I mean lovely man and a great uh, person and ended up being a decent father and a good friend but not a good husband so um, I was like why would I be the one chosen to talk about love it seemed like such a unlikely match like and so I spent the rest I knew that it was a mission that I had to heal myself and I realized that this all the context and the challenging complexity of my marriage and childhood gave me a foundation where I could speak directly to people with trauma and drama and say, yes, it is a possibility. And yes, we do magnetize things into our life for our soul to evolve, but it's all for love. Like all of our challenges and all of it, all of our gifts are to the benefit of our own personal evolution and soul expansion and for the benefit of the whole. Like it all works in a bigger picture and a wider view um, for the benefit of having the experience of the experience so that we could know it more profoundly. And I think I'm one of those souls who said, bring it on. Let me feel it. Let me dive deep into the darkness so that I can face anyone who's having the same issues and say, listen, look at me, look in my eyes. I have beat the odds. I've, I've done the, the work. I've seen the science. People that have this childhood, they don't end up where I'm at normally, but it is a possibility. Yeah. It is a possibility. And love, and back to your question, in love is, you know, I've always felt like there's been angels and guides by my side, even when I not necessarily was like in a spiritual life, but they were always there, kind of there. And they were, and the reason why they're there is because of love. Like love is the answer. It's all that matters. It's the why of everything. It's the answer to questions you haven't even asked. And it, it and and I also know that everything is already in completion. Like 
there is no sense, there is no real time that the past, the present, and the future is all on top of itself in the eternal now. And in that sense, like it all makes sense when you see things from this perspective. And, and by the way, the soul is never hurt. Like regardless of what happens to us, either mentally, physically, or emotionally, the soul is always innocent, always pure, un, untarnished, unburdened, and is choosing to have this experience for the experience and for the profundity of what that offers to the soul and to the whole. I know that's a lot in a mouthful. Sorry. <laughs> Do you think that one of the reasons why you felt this calling to talk about love is because there were times in your life where you didn't feel loved and so you can really understand the contrast? I definitely would say that yes to that question. That is definitely for sure that I, and I never even, like a lot of people feel unworthy of love. I never really had that. I just felt unloved. I felt like, something I was doing was wrong, but it, and somehow I was making the wrong choices. I know now that it's all um, energy and like attracts like, and I was in a certain energy tractor field that attracted a certain person and people and places because that's the energy where my soul would best be served to grow and to learn and to serve. If we can go back to the accident for just a minute. Okay. Um, you mentioned that you that you saw different paths that you had to choose from. I forget your exact wording. Was that symbolic or was that a literal seeing something? No, it was a literal. Not only did I see the path, I saw it to its completion. I saw these different paths from beginning to end. Like they all, all paths leave home. They all lead to love. They all lead to God. They all lead to whatever you want to call it, but this source of creation and it didn't necessarily matter which path I took because the end is already complete. It's all for all of us, from Mother Teresa to Hitler, all the same. The end is all, it's just a bumpy road, a dark path, a high road. And we know we take a lot of these different paths for the benefit of the soul having the experience. Because if I was to tell you, hey, Eric, Write me a thesis on uh, apples, but you've never eaten an apple, you, but you knew how to speak about apples, let's say, because you've done the science on it. So biology of an apple, uh, poetically, you could speak about it, the beauty of an apple. Intellectually, you could make references philosophically to, about an apple, but you've never really bitten into the apple. So for me, what life is, and I love the apple because it's kind of like a spiritual analogy, right? It's taking the bite of the apple so that you can have the visceral experience of it, which is quite different than the intellectual understanding that maybe a computer would say this and this and this equals that, but the computer can't bite the apple. We can. That was what I was shown about. These are the gifts of your life. You get to have this visceral experience unavailable and unparalleled in the universe. It's such a gift to be born and so rare in the universe to be born a human and a very challenging and stern teacher planet earth because of free will choice contrast change yeah this is not the easiest place to be especially right now no but lovely but it's for those souls who are like want truth that want you know to dive deep and it it's powerful it's a powerful place of change quite awesome when you see it from a distance you know 
Yeah. Are you able to remember any of the other paths that you saw? Well, the one where I came and I was uh, crippled in a wheelchair and an old woman and dying and such. Another where I was, you know, had a different level of intellect that meant many other people had to be caretakers. And, you know, there was many, 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 by the way, I'm just mentioning a few, like there, it's, it's amazing the information download that you, that I had, I particularly had in that moment, but these are the poignant ones that I remember. And there were subtleties, like they could have been like, even in this path, there's subtle roads that I could have taken. I could have married a different person. I could have, you know what I mean? There's, it's not just one path and you're continually changing your destiny with each choice. I read this book. Eric, it was really interesting, called Einstein's Dreams. And in this book, there's a woman walking across a, a field that's covered with snow, and she's wearing a long white dress and poignantly has this beautiful red hat on. And the wind blows the hat away, but she doesn't notice. And there is a man up on the terrace, and he notices, and he's watching from the distance. And it shows these three different destinies that this man has, where he callers out to the woman, Miss, 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 your hat, your hat. And she says, thank you. She picks the hat up and goes. The second where he runs down and he just shyly hands her the hat and shakes her hand and goes upon his way and forever remains a bachelor. And the third where he invites her to coffee and they get married and have three kids and two dogs and a cat and whatever, you know. And so the point of sharing the story was that similarly to me in my near-death experience, I was shown that even the smallest choices shift the compass of our lives and lead us to unimaginable new lands of opportunity growth and evolution and so it was it be something so simple as like should I put pink lipstick on because I'm a girly girl or red lipstick and I was like what's the right choice and to your point that you mentioned earlier there really isn't a wrong choice it's just a choice that brings you more joy so if pink brings you more joy today, put pink on and feel into that. Like, so I got really good at feeling into, because each soul is here for the bliss of its own existence, even if that means in a challenging life, such as a concentration camp or a childhood that's very challenging. The soul is there for the bliss of having that visceral experience. So now as an adult and a woman who's free to make her own um, decisions, I get to deci decide between pink lipstick and red lipstick. And the way I make those simple and obviously more complex uh, choices in my life is by feeling joy. And here's one thing I've noticed, and I teach a lot of my students this, is that most people look at these big crossroads of their life and think, this is a crossroad. This is where my life changed. That's not true. Your life changed when you made little choices that led you to this choice, to that choice, to this particular crossroad and not another crossroad. So our choices become very poignant when you, when you recognize this. It can be a little overwhelming until you realize that the answer is always love. And love is always expressed and experienced as joy, even if it's challenging. It's kind of like the joy of figuring out a complex mathematic uh, algorithm or something it's really hard but it's there's so much joy being deep into the problem you know what I mean it's like delicious to be in that problem and by the way I'm not a mathematician I'm just it's maybe another life that's a wishful thinking for me because I'm dyslexic and I 
flip numbers around. And even though I graduated magna cum laude, I mean, I had to take elementary math twice before I could pass uh, what I call statistics instead of statistics. I remember that class. Or or in my major, classes in statistics. I'm trying to understand something here. And I hate to keep going. I hate to keep going back. But uh, as I talk to people and do interviews like this all the time now, some people have choices to come back. Um, some people are just told to come back. Some have choices like you did various paths, but a lot don't or else they or they don't remember them anyway. And it's hard to understand why if someone had a choice, maybe they would pick a path that that to us in this world seems very painful. Like maybe the path they chose or was just given to them meant uh you know, a, a long-term brain injury, a long-term paralysis, who knows what. Do you have any feeling on that? I do. I think everything is divinely purposed. I think souls, many souls come back and carry a heavy burden such as that in service to others. And so they many times are not even in their bodies, but they come back as in service to others because there is some learning around the situation for the family, for the people closest to them. Um, or if they come back and they have, you know, a, a very unhappy life. Um, one thing I've, I've, I thought about a lot is like when you pass somebody on the street and you see like a guy with a paper bag and a sign saying, God loves you, please give me five bucks. And you know, he wants to go get drugs. And most people look at this person and they think this guy is a loser. I'm not giving him money or who cares? Here's some money, go get some drugs, whatever the case may be. But when I look at that person, I, I, I know from my own internal experience of it, that some people come back and they're born into like, let's say a mother with methamphetamine addiction, they're tortured as children. They, you know, they come back with this very heavy life, like worse than what we can even imagine. And they end up on the street corner but they are truly avatars that come and they sit on the street corner. So one person, in case one person, and perhaps me or you drives by and we decide to put our bottle down because we see what the result could be. And so their life, they are, it's such a heavy burden that only a super evolved soul or a baby soul would take that path. It's one or the other. And so that path is, either a super evolved or a baby soul that's there and embodying this super heavy uh, path. And when I drive by someone like that, I'm, I just think how challenging it must be to have an addiction, to not have family, to live on the streets, to not have any potentiality in my future. And what that soul must be going through. And again, I don't believe any soul will be left behind. Even the, the basest and most vile creature that we call human will eventually evolve and find its way to its source, which if the seed is love, and the source is love, then that which comes out, even if it's full of weeds all around it, that's what it will find its way to the light. And so there's a couple of answers. I don't think there's a one size fits all for sure. Um, the fact that I was shown multiple destinies, I truly believe um, 
even if you were told you have to go back, it was a sole choice that you made um, with this divine being that at this point, I probably won't want to go back, but you need to send me back. I think it's a choice. I don't believe anything is put upon us that we do not of our own free will choose. That's why we're on planet earth. Um, but we do have guides. We do have angels um, that whisper in our ear that for some reason you took this road, not that road intuitive hit. And there's a big car accident. You know, I've had many occasions as such where um, I feel like angels and guides and uh, spiritual masters have been by my side and I'm really grateful. I don't think I would be sitting here. I mean, the woman, powerful woman that I am, had it not been for all the love that was been poured out to me from these spiritual family that I have, that we all have. How do you know when it's them whispering in your ear versus just Crystal's own thought patterns going on in her brain? There's a very big differentiation because thoughts, you know, are like disconnected from feeling and feeling is not necessarily connected to thought because you could like say, for example, love is a good experience, like a, like a intimate love with someone, like your mind could say, this is crazy. I shouldn't love this person, but your heart is open wide, right? There's no connection to this, you know, I shouldn't, you know, doesn't make sense. So I think that, you know, the intuitive hit of knowing um, it's just a feeling. And there's been some times when I've had uh, near fatal accidents in my life where you're an inch away from some kind of big disaster and you know that something and someone was watching out because it wasn't your time. And I think your time, by the way, when you talk about time to come, time to go, when there's nothing more to learn on this planet and there's no more love to give or to receive, there's no reason to be here. So for me, like I, I'm happy anytime I'm supposed to go when I'm not here for another meal, I'm not here for another pair of shoes, another anything. Like if my soul is can't learn, can't, can't be of service, can't love, then I don't, I'm no longer need to be here. So I think if we're staying here in this realm, and again, we could leave and come back too. Like if a lot of people can leave, like let's say they commit suicide or whatever, they're going to come back like that. I, I don't believe that that's, you're going to hell because you created, I don't really believe in hell first of all, but I don't believe that there, I do believe there's consequences, but the consequences are rooted in love, not fear. Like at any time, I think a lot of people manifest illnesses to leave the planet because they're just so unhappy in their life. And so when you're unhappy in your life, you start to decay in your cellular tissue. And so this, like, again, each soul, the most healing thing you can do. Oh, by the way, just for your, for your listeners, I was also told for those out there listening to this who are healing, um, that sound and light is the future of medicine and to include that in the book. And it's been a basis of my own personal healing. I do sound baths weekly. I don't know about the light expression, how that is meant, but I was told to write it. So I did it's in the book, but I know that sound has a really powerful healing effect because we're all vibrational and there is an attunement and being in the presence of somebody with a high attunement is very healing. So 
For example, going to sleep with the TV on is not healing for the body. It can be very the opposite of that. Or watching the news, is, it can have a very detrimental effect because it's so much negativity that it starts to like sh- shut the joy down in your body. Oh, yeah, you can feel it. You can just feel yourself shutting down. People say, well, don't you know this horrible thing's happening? I'm like, no, I don't know. Uh, I typically will know because somebody will tell you, but, but I don't I don't absorb that. And, you know, they call it programs because it's programming you, in my opinion. <laughs> so, What is a sound bath? A sound bath is high vibrational instruments, and they're only high vibrational because of the practitioner sending energy through them. So it could be a bell, a gong, a chime. But when you're in a certain space, you move energy. When I'm in that space, I almost feel like, and I, I give these every Friday night, I feel like I'm moving healing energy through the vibration of my voice and of the instruments that I'm playing um, as a healing modality for many, many people. So that's what that's what it's been for me. But I also feel that as I offer this, I get a lot of healing myself, necessary healing for my own soul, which I think we're all in a continual process of healing, you know, because there's always the little hits that come in life, the little disappointments. You know, I would like to say that after near death experience, you're completely enlightened, but that's not true. <laughs> you're human, you know, we're all human. And I, and I get to evolve along with everyone else because I've had an extraordinary experience and I've done a lot of deep inner work and research, you know, I, I'm not, I don't proclaim to be all knowing or have all the answers. I have the answers for me that, that are true for me. And if they resonate with you, then I'm happy about that. And if they don't, I'm okay with that too. Okay. I have one more question, but I'm going to mention the title of your book, love letters to your soul. That'll be interesting to find out why it's named that. It'll be out about the same time that this podcast is for people that are wondering. Your theme seems to be love is why. How do we apply that into every decision that we make every day? Okay, here's a question that I ask, in, in especially in challenging decisions. I ask myself, what is my most loving response? Not what's the easiest, not even what's the kindest, the most generous the most convenient, just what is my most loving response? And when I ask that question, I guess you have to ask yourself, what is love, right? And for me, the best definition of love comes from a great Indian sage, Ramana Maharishi, who said when asked nothing, he wrote nothing down, but asked by his disciples who translated his words, master, what is love? And this one statement changed my life. He said, love is the pure light of undifferentiated consciousness. And if you break that down, it is quite profound. And so when I say I ask myself, what is my most loving response? I ask myself, what is the pure, light, untarnished decision of undifferentiated consciousness, meaning from a neutral space of absolute acceptance of all outcomes? And so that most generous, loving, giving thing I can do. Sometimes that means, you know, slamming the door. (laughs) It's not necessarily what people think, you know. Sometimes that means, you know, opening the door and giving someone a hug. 
it's it's but it's like this feeling and i don't always i wish i could say i always move from a loving place but i'm human right i don't always do that my husband has this innate ability to really trigger me <laughs> in good and bad ways and so uh, it's a continual process but i do move most poignantly and i think you said when you have a deadline that you're really is when you're really when I'm under pressure, when things get really serious, I go really quickly, really deep, and I land right back in that space of pure light, of undifferentiated consciousness. And when you speak from that space, and when you move from that space, it's a different life. It, 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 it's amazing. It's, it's transformational. It's a simple question. What is my most loving response? So let's say someone flips you off on the highway. Never happens, right? Never Never. So let's just say it does. And you say, what is my most loving response? Maybe it's look the other way. Maybe it's wave. Maybe it's say a prayer. I love the Oponopono prayer. Very healing. I'm sure you know about this prayer where it is to all beings. You say, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt you. Thank you. I love you. And so you take any responsibility for the vibrational alignment with a person who's willing to flip you off. So there's no enemy. You take full responsibility and you're fully self-reliant on your own purpose in life. So nothing outside of you is even outside of you anymore. You say everything is in vibrational alignment with my soul. And to your question about love letters to your soul, it's an inspirational book that really is a poetic guide to living this life based on love and having a more free existence as a result of that. The other book that's coming is going to be the book about the near-death experience, but that's next. I had to write the book I was told to write first. Okay, one thing at a time. I think this world would be a great place if each of us when we were asked a question, why did you do this or why did you do that or why did you make this decision? If our answer was, love is why. Love is why. Thank you, Crystal. Appreciate you being on the show today. It's such a pleasure. Nice to meet you. And uh, I extend to you and all of your listeners all my love, all my blessings. If you have had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you have found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music